You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast. Season 2, Episode 3. Non-album tracks, Part 1. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritje. And in this show we talk about Nirvana. So that's why we decided to call it the Nirvana Podcast. That was a smart move. That was a very smart move. Uh, And today we are going to focus on some uh, Nirvana songs that never made it to an official album. The songs they came up up with um, towards the end of their career. Our main question is going to be, should it have been on an album or did they make the right decision by not putting it on? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's always a really good uh, question to ask. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, and it's uh, up to us uh, to give a, <laughs> to give a, to pass judgment on it. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> it's always we always easy to judge judges. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's start off with uh, the first song. I think this is a a true outtake because yep. uh, they never played this song live. Um, They only recorded it twice, first um, as a demo, uh, which is also uh, the version of the song we're going to listen to first. Uh, The guys are already warming up in the background. Um, And then they did record this song for the uh, In Utero uh, sessions, so they could have easily uh, put it on there. Uh, Personally, I think it would have uh, fit right in, Um, but then they decided not to, so uh, yeah. That's what makes it like the ultimate outtake, I think. Yep. Um, looking forward to this one. Yep. Cool. Yeah, our idea was to talk through the feedback intro until the song would start. But, <laughs> but now that we're, um, yeah, a minute in almost, uh, I think uh, we're out of things to say. So uh, <laughs> I think it's time for the song to start. <laughs> It is a cool feedback, by the way. Yeah, definitely. Apparently, Kurt Cobain thought it was a very boring song. Yeah. Something that they could write in their sleep. Um, I kind of like it. Yeah, I kind of like it too. Um, but I do sort of get what he's saying. Um, I don't think it's boring per se, but it is... It's not worse, but also not much better than some of their other work. So I get why he would be like, yeah, this is sort of, yeah, we can do this. And it's it's not that interesting. I do think that maybe they could have made it into something more interesting, I guess. Um, if they loved the song enough to do some more work on it, perhaps. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I like the song. I, I do agree that it's not a, a standout song. It's not, if they would have put it on uh, in utero... It wouldn't stand out, but also it wouldn't be the weakest song on, on the album. So, uh, yeah, 
I think yeah. uh, it, w- it would be just fine um, to put it on there. The, it, the guitar it, riff is, is almost a bit like a combination between Floyd the Barber and on a plane, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, basically you're sort of saying what Kurt said, like <laughs> we can write this in our sleep. Um, <laughs> although if, that's the reasoning. <laughs> there are some other songs you could say that about as well. <laughs> I mean, he's he's admitted himself. We talked about that before. That that some of the songs are uh, closely together in terms of uh, chords and whatever. But I think this this song was supposed to be the B side for Penny Royalty, right? Um, yeah. But that never officially happened um, because that would have been after his death. Um, I think that would be a great match, actually. Yeah, it's a nice combination of songs. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted to release Penna Royalty as a single and have this song uh, as as a B-side, but then the single got cancelled because yeah. uh, Kurt died. And, well, I especially can understand that they, did, they didn't want to put out a song uh, that's called I Hate Myself and I Want to Die at that moment. No. The single did get released uh, in 2014. Right. As some sort of limited edition record for a record store day. Right, right. Yeah, I must say I, I I don't have it, and of course, well, that many years after uh, after the fact, uh, the controversy was uh, was gone. Um, <laughs> it 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 was a controversial title anyway. I yep. hate myself and I want to die. When when Kurt was asked about it, he said, "Well, it's it's only a joke. It's 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 easy to say that. Yeah, well, we all know know how his life ended. So apparently, it wasn't a joke. But I still think that it was a joke." Yeah, it's, but it's, it had more truth in it than than he wanted to admit. It's really it's a slogan. I hate myself yeah. and I want to die. It's it's not like it's something you print on a t-shirt basically. And I he he wanted to at one point uh, name the album that. So it's basically just some sort of line that he liked and he and he used eventually. I, I mean, he used it for this song. This song could have had any other title. This title yeah, could like have fit two with other bass songs. Kid. Sorry? Two Bass Kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Apparently, um, that's how they called it uh, when they were uh, working on it. Yeah. Or at least uh, that's the name that was on the on the tape box for the album. It did find its way uh, out eventually uh, because they decided to um, uh, sell it off... Uh, to the compilation album The Beavis and Butthead Experience. Exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking about Beavis and Butthead actually when <laughs> we, we were talking over the intro and you were like, oh, we're filling the intro and we don't have a lot <laughs> to say. And I was like, oh, we should have done a Beavis and Butthead impression. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who uh, have never heard of Beavis and Butthead, look them up. For those of you who do know them, uh, you're probably around our age. Yep. <laughs> and if you're not and you look up Beavis and Butthead now and you're like, what was that? Yeah, sorry. I think the humor uh, <laughs> in the 90s was a bit different <laughs> than yeah, it is don't, now. Yeah, don't judge Because if you it. look at it now, it's it's just not funny anymore. But no. yeah, it was back then. And, and yeah. it was something I think that's relevant to mention, especially for people listening who have no idea what Beavs and Butthead was. Just in short, it was a, a cartoon TV show of two guys who basically watched TV and commented on it. But they were like rock metal fans. And um, 
there were actually a a lot of bands who liked being um, uh, involved with Beavis and Butthead because they actually did endorse good music. Um, it was a, a MTV TV show, and actually by having Beavis and Butthead watch video clips and, and and say stuff about that. MTV was actually sort of making a show about themselves. I mean, you have something called Gogglebox nowadays in, in the US and the UK of people watching TV and commenting on it. Well, basically that was what Beavis and Butthead did. So the fact that Nirvana gave one of their unreleased songs to a Beavis and Butthead compilation album isn't as weird as it sounds. It's something that that, yeah, you could do back then and still be a uh, a serious rock punk band. I don't think they gave the song. Uh, I've read that they got uh, $60,000 for it. So Yeah, maybe that was... Uh, you know, for, for a throwaway <laughs> song you can write in your sleep, that's not bad. No, no, I would, yeah. I would like to get that for something I write in my sleep. <laughs> so let's have a, a listen to the end of the song and then uh, we can hear the outro by Beavis and Butthead. Because yes. this is... Uh, the version uh, that uh, is on the uh, compilation album. That kicked ass. Yeah, yeah, it rolled, it rolled. Yeah, and that's about the most uh, intelligent things that uh, Beavis and Butthead uh, have to say. Yep. It kicked ass and it ruled. Still, I think it's a bit weird to have Nirvana on that compilation, especially with a song title like this. Kind of yep. seems out of place, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how this happened exactly. I think this is one of those things where you get asked like do you have something to to give to the Beavis and Butthead album and someone in the band or the management were like oh yeah cool uh do you have something lying around oh yeah this song isn't too bad whatever here you have it and and nobody yeah. really looked at it <laughs> probably you already said that perhaps they could have worked on it a, a, a bit more there is one very notable change uh, between the uh, demo version and the uh studio version, well, demo version is a studio version as well, but the demo version and the uh, version they recorded during the album sessions uh, with uh, producer Steve Albini. And that's uh, uh, the middle part. In the demo version, there's a, a loud, noisy solo. And in the, let's say, uh, official version, there's like a, a spoken word uh, a part. Yeah. We're going to have a listen to that from the 2013 remixed version just because there is a 2013 remix <laughs> version and I thought well let's let's have listened to that as well and it's a Steve Albini uh, remix right yeah did I say yep. it wrong no what no I, you you said remix so I was like it was a Steve Albini right because I yeah oh yeah yeah that's that's just right mentioning the producer <laughs> yeah no you're you're absolutely right the original producer was asked to uh, have a have a listen to the recordings again and and make a new mix and for some songs that actually brought something different to the table and for some songs not so much personally i think uh, i hate myself and the one to die is a song that 
doesn't benefit that much from the from the remix but uh, anyway here's the middle part Apparently, what Kurt said there is, uh, words are broken lives. Most people don't realize that large, large pieces of coral, which have been painted brown and attached to the skull by common wood screws, can make a child look like a deer. <laughs> nice. So there you have it. And he's, uh, he's quoting comedian Jack uh, Handy. Don't know the guy. Me neither, but um, I read that he was on uh, SNL a lot uh, in the 90s. Right. So, yeah. I guess Kurt thought it was funny or just needed something to say and had that lying around uh, somewhere. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, that he's quoting somebody else instead of using some of his own material. Maybe he says something about how ser- serious he did, uh, was taking the song. Yeah, could be. I've always liked this middle part because it sort of goes into this kind of doors feeling. It's mm. almost weird that they go back to the original sound after that middle part because I I sort of expect them to go full on into Doors territory after that but yeah <laughs> go full Lizard King on, on <laughs> yeah, the song yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah that would have been interesting not sure if it would be really their thing <laughs> no but yeah they would have to take themselves really serious to pull that off I think yeah <laughs> On to the final judgment. Um, do you think uh, it was a wise decision not to put this one on uh, in utero or should they have included it? I think it was wise to not include it, but keep it as a B-side. So to, to have it as part of the whole in utero experience. Yeah, just not on the album. So that they did the right thing. I think so. Personally, I think you can you can go uh, either way with uh, with this one. Yeah. So on to the next one called Moist Vagina. Also a song that uh, was uh, scheduled to be a B-side uh, for the uh, Rape Me slash All Apologies double A-side single. Uh, let's, uh, let's have a listen. Um, I actually have the separate uh, tracks uh, for this one. Oh. And we got some emails from listeners who really like us... Uh, playing those uh, layered uh, tracks. Uh, So uh, we're going to do that.
the lyrics are quite graphical, uh, you might say. Yeah. But also a bit stupid. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I mean, I know like there's a lot of discussion about this song and the lyrics and what it means and what it's all about. And is it is it really about vaginas or is it about drugs or is it like... People have all kinds of interpretations and obviously because um, moist vagina and marijuana are like <laughs> the two <laughs> central things in this. Get mentioned quite a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the whole multiple shouting of marijuana is what annoys me about this song, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, okay, you start, start out a song with some content and then it's just shouting a a drug name that doesn't do anything for me <laughs> i mean other people may like that so but he, it's he just... should have stayed with the with the vagina and the, and the anus yeah i think so <laughs> at least that had a hint of a story <laughs> yeah the song has been mislabeled a lot as marijuana yep by by bootleg uh by I bootleggers and stuff and, yeah I came across a, a hip hop song that also uh, samples that cry of marijuana. Ah, interesting. N yeah, I didn't think it was that good. I kind of hoped that they maybe sampled the guitar lick or something like mm -hmm. that, but it was just Kurt screaming marijuana. Yeah. So could have been inter more interesting, I think, if they had done something more with the music in the song. Yeah. I agree that the lyrics are a bit too, ooh, look at me being shocking or controversial or rude or something i i, I do kind of like the the general feel of the song yeah yeah me too and I, i i think the music is interesting but yeah it just hmm <laughs> it's all right also it's it's interesting i think because when you listen at, to the drums especially in the beginning it doesn't sound like your regular Nirvana drum intro, which I've always found interesting. But I, yeah, I, I, I sort of lose interest as soon as Kurt just starts wailing over it. <laughs> it still is an impressive wailing, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, perhaps I have a version uh, uh, of this song that you might like better. Um, it's uh, a cover version by Sonic Youth. Nice. Let's check it out. So in typical Sonic Youth style, I think. <laughs> yeah, it feels slightly more coherent in this version. I can't really yeah, put they, a finger on why. They added a few but... notes to the, to the guitar line. Maybe that's it. Yeah, it could be. And also I think that the singing is a bit more on point. I mean, it's still screamy, but that's Sonic Youth. Um, but it sort of feels like it's more coherent with the instruments. 
I guess. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, well, in, in timing, timing wise. I, 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 yeah. I think I think Kurt's vocal delivery is one of the strong points of the song. Yeah, it's I, I, it's not specifically about the vocal de- delivery. It, I think it's more the the timing of it that I like a bit more. It's more tight than the Nirvana version. I have the feeling that you are going to vote for not put it put it on the <laughs> on the Ezero album, right? No, no, and I also think. Like you said, sometimes it it feels a bit like oh look at look at us being controversial. I think that's also a good reason to to not include this, especially if you think about "Rape Me," which is a title that was controversial, but is actually a song that has interesting content. In this case, I don't think there's much there that really justifies being controversial. So it yeah. would have probably attracted attention for really the wrong reasons. But still, I'm going to give the last word uh, to Kurt. Just listening to your uh, your favorite part of the song. <laughs> Marijuana! 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 <laughs> well, I, I I must say, nice harmonies. <laughs> well. People who are uh, with us for a longer time know uh, that harmonies always do the trick for you. Exactly. So, so, I so we th- should. Yeah. <laughs> so they should have put it on the album. Uh, just the harmony part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, uh, on to the next one. She seems to think she seems weak. She takes weak. That was also a slightly remixed uh, version. Uh, I think uh, in our first season uh, we checked out um, the original version, which has a, a lighter in the uh, in the intro, uh, yep. uh, flicking, um, and it's um, it's gone now. Yep, shame. Yeah, I kind of like that as well. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I really would have liked to hear this song uh, recorded in the way uh, that the rest of the In Utero album is uh, is recorded. I agree. Because this this is not a, a leftover or or an outtake. This was from a completely different session. Actually, uh, the first session after they released uh, Nevermind, they um, went into a studio. I, th- I think it was in the the basement of a friend uh, of of Dave, something mm-hmm. like that. And they just wanted to bang out some songs and keep it really lo-fi. And and you can hear that. Yeah. But yeah, I I must say I I, I really like this one. It's called Oh the Guilt. Uh, I, I think it may have been a, a good contester to be uh, on their next studio uh, album um, if it wasn't for the fact that they had already uh, released it as a as a single before uh, they, they went to the album. So I, I can understand that they didn't go back and re-record it and then put it on the album. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have minded if they had hold on to it and then brought it to uh, the In Utero sessions and... Uh, yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. I think uh, I I like what you said about being interested to hear this in in a in utero style recording um, because this is 
a song that was recorded quite fast but already has a lot of promise in there. Uh, I mean, I said before about the song that maybe they should have worked on it longer and this is the opposite. This is like, oh yeah, this is... I, I get this song. Um, it's interesting. There's a lot in there that works already as a catchy song, but they'd released it as a double A side, right? With uh, Jesus Lizard. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I, I, I don't, can't remember why or how that happened, but it did. <laughs> I, I think it just happened because they had a song and they liked the Jesus Lizard and they were becoming really, really big and famous. And they wanted to share some of the limelight with one of their befriended bands. That's that's basically the story, I think. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And this song fits with the the sort of music that Jesus Lizard makes. Um, so I can I can imagine this being like a good combination. Yeah, also because they released it like that, it sort of fell through the cracks as a song that was better known i think they they did play it live right yeah they did uh, want to hear it yeah I don't think they, they they played it that much though, but uh, at least on some on some occasions they did uh, they did perform it. Yeah, I I really like the 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 bass lines in this song. Overall, it's a it's a it's a cool song. So yeah, my vote would be put it on uh, the In Utero album, <laughs> but of course then also um, record it uh, in in that way. And uh, I think if you just put this version on there, it would sound different and it would definitely sound older it, it would sound like they would have put a demo of, of, uh, yeah, yeah, on their album exactly. which which basically it is i mean yeah they put it out as, as, a, as a as a single but it wasn't recorded that way no. um, the single was also released by an entirely uh different record company by the way touch oh, and right, go yeah and their current record company decided well not not make a problem of it just let them have it mm-hmm. uh we don't want to upset uh one of our uh, biggest <laughs> and best-selling bands uh, of the, of this moment yeah makes sense but if you were to put this on in utero where would you put it though or which song would you replace Ooh, that's a that's a that's a tough one it feels to me a bit like a song that belongs on the second half of the album mm-hmm. um maybe it could go uh instead of two reds yeah. Also yeah. a loud, high-energy song. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It could work. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so that's my proposal. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll call Dave and uh, let him know for the re-release uh, 
of uh, in yeah, Euro, yeah. Uh, like 40th anniversary edition. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they don't have much left to to put out, so they're, they're probably going to call us for for ideas. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's have a listen to the next one, and that's uh, called Kermudgeon. Yeah, and this one was uh, recorded during the same sessions uh, as the last song. And I have one more uh, fun fact to share about uh, that last song, Oh the Guilt, uh, because the song that uh, the Jesus Lizard uh, contributed to the uh, um, split single was in fact uh, produced by Steve Albini, the right. later producer of Nirvana. So there's that. So uh, Kermudgeon, um, it, they recorded it uh, the same the same day with uh, with the same uh, producer, and Kurt really seemed to like his phaser pedal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> Turned it all the way up. Um, I actually bought a, a phaser pedal uh, a couple of weeks ago and tried to, to rec- recreate this uh, this sound. It's not, and, not and that easy to get it? it exactly right. <laughs> okay. Especially since the effect is so heavy, it's it's hard to make out what exactly he's playing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. yeah, you get that you get that weird sound that's all over this song. And uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think um, it's a uh, it's an effect that shouldn't be used on too many songs <laughs> because then they all start to sound the same. But yeah, uh, yeah for um, for change of sound, it's uh, it's fun and. Uh, yeah, I can imagine him having fun experimenting with it. Um, it's it's not my favorite song, though. No, me neither. I do like the fact that we're uh, playing it now because it's um, the, we're recording it uh, at this moment a couple of days before Christmas. And this is the closest to a Christmas song we'll ever get with Nirvana. So... And why is that? Because he is singing multiple times, Tis the Season. And he's also singing, I'm not Santa. So there you have it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's really hard to make out the lyrics. And I don't think that an official lyric sheet was ever published. There's probably like five versions of it. So yeah. maybe he's not I've singing, also read a I'm cheat not Santa. On but or cheat on me. Yeah. But like, I want to believe that this is Kurt's <laughs> Christmas song. So I'll stick to that. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that it sort of um, fits the uh, Christmas atmosphere uh, in the in the Cobain realm. <laughs> exactly, and also, I mean, I think I have this whole fantasy about this song because I need mean, the title "Kermudgeon." I mean, "Kermudgeon" is is the word for a grumpy old man. So I'm just envisioning a Scrooge-like guy who is just moping around and being like, "I'm not Santa." Like, I mean, yeah sort of my idea of this song so maybe yeah. i'm totally wrong but it's just my my fancy <laughs> yeah well you can you can hold on to that you're, you're <laughs> entitled to it yeah 
So you're saying it's not called curmudgeon because Kurt saw himself as that or knew that other uh, people perceived him as being uh, a curmudgeon? Yeah, but then with like the Santa outfit on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm just kidding. No, definitely. I mean, it's if you listen to the lyrics, uh, whatever he's singing because indeed we don't know exactly um but it's it's quite clear that that the the title and the the lyrics correspond um and that there's this mopey feeling and the bad temper and and people thinking that that's what you are that's definitely in there yeah which which is what i like and and i mean we've seen that in a couple of other songs as well uh kurt singing about the kind of person that people think he is or the kind of person that he he thinks himself that he is or that he wants to be or that he can't be so i think this fits in in a realm of of different songs with that theme um i don't think they played this song uh, live a lot but they they did play it um and i have it uh, lined up so let's see how uh, kurt's uh, phaser pedal sounds uh, when he plays it live effect doesn't seem to be on there so you can hear the song a bit more clearly because of that i think and the, and the yeah. actual guitar parts the weird thing is that you do sort of miss it yeah um makes it less special which is a shame actually because you'd want a song to sound good without effects as well but on the other hand, maybe that's like a myth, like that whole myth of like, if you can sing it with just a guitar, then then it's a good song, which is obviously bullshit because that would like dismiss most of of constructed electronic songs anyway. Yeah, so, or classical music. Yep. <laughs> Although Bach on, on guitar is pretty cool, but <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, I, I, I do think that in this case, the, the 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 effects add something to the song that that sort of fits the feeling. I do think it's not their strongest song, so yeah, maybe no. maybe uh, the theory holds up in that respect. That if it was a really good song, then you would still like it without the effect just as much. Uh, yeah. But now you think, yeah, it's it's it sounds cool because of the effect, and yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a typical b-side i think um, and they used it as a b-side because it was uh, a b-side for a uh, lithium mm-hmm. which i think is an interesting choice because that means that they wanted to put out a more noisy and rough recorded song uh, out even while they were still dropping their hit singles from nevermind 
that is interesting that they already try to put something more noisy nirvana retro kind of sounds yeah and, and yeah. maybe already signal signaling um the direction they wanted to go in perhaps so anything more to say about a curmudgeon no just think i've said enough okay maybe a couple of sleigh bells would have made it better <laughs> no just kidding <laughs> With sleigh bells and maybe even a phaser effect on the sleigh bells. Uh, do you think uh, they should have uh, put it on uh, in utero? No, no. No, me neither. No. Okay, but here's another contester. that wasn't nirvana that was late yeah that well-known one-man band <laughs> yeah and that one man was of course uh, dave Grohl, who uh, put out a cassette tape with some of his songs uh including this one called color pictures of a marigold and then later he uh, re-recorded it during the in euro sessions and it became uh, a b-side a pretty remarkable one it's the only nirvana song that was written by uh, a different member than Kurt, um, except yep. for the regular covers, and also the only Nirvana song that wasn't sung by Kurt. So, yeah, it's uh, this is the odd one out, you could say. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, check out the re-recorded version. <laughs> Don't know what that sound is, by the way, do you? Like a, moving a chair moving, moving around? Chair. Like that? Yeah. As far as we know, uh, Kurt isn't playing on this version. There are rumors that he did play on the song when they were recording it, playing uh, yeah. drums, I've heard, but I don't think that's ever been confirmed or has ever been released. No, this is, uh, this is the version without him on it. Uh, I think it's a shame. It would have been wonderful to have, them, uh, to have him sing on it. Yeah, that would, yeah. would be very, uh, very interesting uh, uh, to hear. And I get, I'm guessing that you, as a, a sucker for harmonies, really like this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely do. What I find interesting about this song is the first version that 
that you just played um, that Dave wrote. Uh, that was 91, I believe, right? Just when he started out. Yeah, I think so. I think he wrote, perhaps he wrote the song earlier. Exactly. So let's say he wrote it like 1990, 1991, maybe even earlier. I find it so interesting that this song has a Nirvana feel to it, even already on that first demo of his. But at the same time, you also hear something different in it that you can't really put your finger on, but that, that makes it not really Nirvana. Mm. <laughs> and I think that especially um, this song also shows um, particularities of uh, grunge. Um, I know we've, we've talked about that before also with the grunge documentaries and like this is the grunge sound and whatever. But I think especially in this song, um, when you hear him um, in every line of the verse, when he goes to that, to the word want, that uh, note change, that is so specific for grunge sound. That makes this song into a grunge slash Nirvana song already hmm. without the band being involved even. Um, and I've always found that really interesting that he's sort of, it's almost like he's, he's, picked apart the whole <laughs> the whole grunt thing in this song. And when you hear it evolve into the version that uh, you just played, that has more of a Nirvana feel to it. And I think you're totally right. If Kurt would have sung this, it would have sounded even more Nirvana because then they would have their two-part harmonies in there together. And then later on, you actually get a Foo Fighters version, which is... A Foo Fighters version, but it's still the same song. So it's sort of, I feel the whole history of grunge in, in one song, basically. So yeah, I like it. <laughs> Small correction, I just checked and uh, the tape was released in 1992. So uh, ah, right. we stand corrected. But um, Dave later did say that he learned some things about songwriting from his time with Kurt that he probably couldn't have learned anywhere else. I don't mm -hmm. think he went into detail about it, but Perhaps it's in it's in things like you just mentioned. Also, he uh, only uses a couple of lines uh, in this song and repeats those, which is something that Kurt did a lot as well. So perhaps that's why he also felt confident. Well, I don't need to write more verses. It's uh, it's 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 good the way uh, it is. The lyrics are definitely. I mean, if you look at them closely, you can see they are not Kurt Cobain lyrics but they get close to the way he would approach songwriting. So, yeah. It would also have been a great pick for the uh, Unplugged sessions. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, we'd have liked that, great. especially if uh, Kurt uh, joined in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do have a, an uh, alternate uh, version uh, lined up um, that they also recorded, but never um, uh, used. Um, and that one has uh, a cello on it as well. Yay. To make it even more... Nirvana, -y, I think. Uh, so uh, let's check it out. He's there, case I want it all. He's scared, because I want. He's there, case I want. 
I have my mind already made up about uh, this one. I say um, use this version with the cello, uh, put mm -hmm. it on the album uh, instead of the bonus track. Um, yeah. Because that way it would be a really surprising bonus track, not come out again with with a noisy jam, but with a more acoustic, melodic song and also surprise yeah. people by putting out a song that Dave is singing on. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have been the, the, the perfect extra track on uh, on uh, in utero. That's my I, uh, I like that opinion. idea, yeah. And it would have been um, um, a nice bridge between this and, and uh, Unplugged yeah. as well, I think. The only thing I would change then is the title. Because although I know that, that it's like in the song, I think... Marigold is like the least Nirvana title ever mm -hmm. <laughs> out of all of the songs. It just, it just, that title is, is so un Nirvana that, yeah. Yeah. Maybe Moist Marigold. <laughs> that, that would help. <laughs> that would definitely help. <laughs> or I hate Marigold and I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Marigold and I want to sing. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and I, I suppose color pictures of a marigold isn't much better, right? No, but that that sounds like a, a 70s prog rock kind of thingy. And that sound actually is slightly in that song, especially in the first demo. It has a bit of a 70s feel, but no, that title is wrong. Okay. So um, let's move on to our last uh, song of this podcast which is a song that could never have been on uh, in utero because it uh, wasn't written then as far as we know but still uh, i thought it was too uh, interesting uh, not to include it uh, on this episode about non-album tracks by nirvana so uh, let's have a listen to uh, their last single you might say uh, you know you're right Come like this Make that I'm never 
So that's the last song they ever recorded as a band. You might suspect that it would have been on the next album if there would have been a, a next album. Yeah, probably, um, especially because this song has already been detailed quite a lot. Um, when you think about those last studio sessions and the fact that, that they <laughs> weren't perfect, this song has has been done in quite some detail and Kurt recorded vocals separately, I think, yeah. and, and the harmonies and whatever. So like you can hear it being already a bit more than just a demo. So I suspect that this definitely would have been a song that 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 they would have progressed with. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um although um Kurt also said that they he wanted to make a more acoustic sounding true album, so maybe uh, if he went for that he would have had to discard this song and maybe put yeah. it uh, out uh, on an, on an EP or hand it to another Beavis and Butthead compilation or something like that. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know, but uh, I, I do think it's a shame that this song has been a bit stained by its history because for years, um, uh, Courtney Love and uh, Dave and Chris had a legal feud over what to do with this song. I, th I think it all came down that to the fact that Courtney wanted to release this as, as part of a best of album. There was a lot <laughs> of bad, bad blood be between them. So I guess that's... Uh, that's why yeah. it took them years. Yeah, to finally get there. Yeah. And I, I think, it, like you said, there was a lot of bad blood. I think this this song was sort of uh, duped into uh, being uh, <laughs> the highlight of their uh, of their discussions uh, uh, when it was probably about more than than just a song. But it's interesting though that perhaps Courtney had a um, an emotional tie to the song as well since she did a version of it with Hole, uh, her band. So there must have been a bit more there for her, at least, to that song. Yeah. I don't know. Well... There, I mean, the, 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 the studio session had not been released at that moment. And I think there was a, a bootleg live version of this song, but I'm not sure yeah. when that surfaced. So I have no idea if that bootleg was already widely spread. Do you know that? I don't know exactly why uh, when it surfaced, but for quite a long time, I think. So people kind of knew the song. It, uh, a lot of people thought it was called On a Mountain or something like mm -hmm. that, because it was really, really hard to, to make out. Uh, let's listen to that uh, live version uh, now first. Thank you. 
the story there is uh, that they planned on playing All Apologies and then Kurt decided to start this song and the rest of the guys just had to uh, go along with it. <laughs> oh, well, they did well. Yeah. So, so, so for years, people kind of knew um, how the song sounded because of this recording. And like you said, also uh, the recording by Hole, which is interesting because a lot of people think that in the lyrics, there's a lot of stabs at Courtney with lines like she, she just wants to love herself and, and things like that. I've tried to read all the different versions of the lyrics and and see what the deal was with that because a lot of people are like angry that Courtney, when she did the song, she changed the lyrics and she took out everything that was in the song that was about her and that was negative and whatever. And well... First of all, we don't know exactly what he sings anyway. Um, <laughs> and knowing Kurt, I mean, there are a lot of lyrics that changed over time, or he sang some template lyrics during demos and whatever. Um, and then Courtney's version is slightly different, but I can imagine her making up some things as well. And again, um, I mean, she's a songwriter as well, so... That's not that weird, but I couldn't really make out, like, pinpoint exactly, like, oh, this is the part that was about mm. her, and she took it out, and that's why she's evil. I, uh, I'm sorry, if, if somebody is listening who can point me exactly to that, feel free to, to send us a message, but I couldn't find it. It's just, yeah, it's different what she sings, but, yeah, we don't know exactly what he sings either, yeah. so... And, and and Kurt used... Uh, the word she a lot in in his songs exactly and from from one point on people assumed that the she in the song was Courtney but yeah I mean we just heard Oh the Guilt which is all about a she (laughs) as well and and we don't even know because if they already did this life in 1993 who knows when he wrote it and yeah yeah well we've we've talked about the whole version uh, of this song Uh, I think uh, we should uh, listen to it as well. Not only did Courtney uh, change uh, the lyrics, but also the title of the song, because um, they call it uh, You've Got No Right. like the instrumentation on this version. I don't particularly like the way she's singing it. There could have been a bit more power in there. I think it's like a, a lot of songs that she sings are a bit too laid back for me um, in, in the style she's singing it in. 
it's sort of the opposite of of what Kurt usually did. <laughs> but I like the the way the instruments work in this version. I really like the arrangement. I don't know who did it, probably the whole band together or whatever. I think that the way they play it, I'd like to think that that's a version that Kurt would have liked because it has a bit more melodic feeling to it, a bit more arrangement. It works in that unplugged setting. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like something that, that would fit the way he was thinking towards going with his own music, yeah. perhaps. Maybe that's also a direction it could have uh, developed in. Uh, we uh, we don't know. I do know that I found another uh, cover version of this song that I absolutely refuse uh, to play. Can you guess <laughs> okay. uh, by what band? No idea. Limp Biscuit. No way. Yeah, they did it. <laughs> but you're going to have to look it up yourself because, like I said, I, I, I refuse to play uh, the Limp Biscuit version of uh, you've <laughs> You Know You're Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't heard it, but just... The idea of Limp Bizkit doing this song is, yeah, <laughs> I can get why you don't want to play yeah, it. <laughs> especially because it's going to be the last uh, uh, fragment of music we're going to play. And, uh, yeah, let's no, not. Let's, let's not. I, I, I think there's already uh, people out there who are not happy that uh, we, uh, we've played whole. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, have we got news for you because it may take a couple of weeks or months, but we plan on doing a whole episode centered around whole, so... Yeah. If you don't like them, uh, make sure to skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back with other Nirvana-related bands that you might like. Yeah. Or just try it out sometime. You um, might find it interesting. Yeah, and maybe we don't even like them. But then we'll make sure that we've got a guest on who definitely does like the band. So Exactly. So we won't be too uh, curmudgeons here. <laughs> ruining yeah. Christmas for everybody. Yeah, looking forward to that. And I have a feeling that we're going to hear a version by Hall of a Kurt Cobain song in one of the next episodes as well. Yeah, I know what you're getting at, but also <laughs> uh, we gonna maybe we need to save one for the for the whole episode as well. So hmm. we'll have a discussion about that. We'll have a discussion about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get there when we get there. And in this case, uh, it may not take that long to get there because uh, the next episode will be about uh, some more um, Nirvana songs that never made it to an official album. As you heard at the beginning, this was actually part one. Yeah, and we can reveal <laughs> that right part one of, uh, of, of three, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, next time we're going to do um, some songs that could have been on Nevermind, but aren't. And, and then we're going to uh, close off the trilogy by uh, songs that could have been on Bleach, but aren't. So um, I hope you will uh, join me again. Yes, definitely. As uh, soon as we're going to uh, uh, stop recording, uh, I think we're going to have to have that uh, discussion uh, you were already <laughs> <laughs> announcing. But uh, now I want to thank you for uh, podcasting with me uh, once again. Thank you for having me. I want to thank everybody out there listening. Uh, as always, you can reach us by sending an email to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com or by going to facebook.com slash nirvana podcast. For now, thanks for listening. And until next time, bye. Bye. <laughs>